0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I was reading this passage the other day, and um, it really stuck out to me. I, I couldn't shake this line that Paul had, and it, it brought all sorts of questions in my mind. So I want to read it to you. First Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, it says... Um, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy, and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Okay, so Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He throws out lines like infants, not ready, still worldly, milk, solid food. And he drops this line are you not acting like mere humans? And then I started thinking, well, what does he expect? Have you thought about this? Like, what is he getting at? Like, what are Paul's expectation of the church? What, and, and let's just take it a little further. What kind of identity does he anticipate those who are led by the Spirit to have He says, I couldn't give you solid food. I'm giving you milk because you're infants because there's jealousy and quarreling. Oh gosh, ouch. But then I'm wondering, well, what does he expect us to act like? How are we supposed to live then according to Paul's expectations or are we just acting like mere humans? What kind of identity are we called to live out of? And what is our core identity? This is what I want to get at today. Just explore one passage and the implications of this passage. I believe the Holy Spirit restores or empowers true identity. That's the topic today. How the Holy Spirit empowers identity. And the passage I'm going to read today, I think has some of the most significant implications for your life. I believe this passage, if fully embraced and and understood in the core of your being will transform your existence. It's that significant. It's in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 14, it says this, Paul's writing to the church in Rome he's going off on the implications of life in the spirit and then in verse 14 he, uh, he has this this like kind of a set of, of expl- explanation of what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit comes to do in your person, in your identity, what he does to you as you are experiencing his presence in your life. He says this in verse 14. Are you there Romans 14? This is one you want to highlight I promise. Romans eight fourteen. it says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with your spirit, our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. What is your core identity? What is at the center of your being? Do you know what it is? Paul breaks down what the Holy Spirit does in your life and he describes the evidence of a spirit filled life in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. He gives you an expectation, a, a thing to look for as you live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. There will be markers that reflect. The reality of you being a spirit led person. First of all, he says, Those that are led by the Spirit are children of God. He uses this phrase used for the people of Israel, right? They were set apart because of a covenant that God made to Abraham's descendants. And the way into the covenant was through blood, through the law, through sacrifice, through ceremony. And now he's saying, no, it's the spirit that gives you this inheritance. It's the spirit that gives you the blessing of the father. It's the spirit that gives you access to the father. And now you inherit the title and vocation and identity, the children of God. Are you with me? So those who are led by the spirit, their primary identity now becomes a child of God, which pulls us back to Genesis chapter one, when God creates mankind, men and women in his image. Identity is restored through the coming of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not a bloodline with Abraham, but now now it's a way of existence with the presence of God. In Mark chapter one, verse 10 Before Jesus begins his ministry publicly, it says he goes to Jordan where he's baptized. In verse 10, it says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. That's a violent word. Heaven is torn open. That same phrase, by the way, can I just, this is a good, is the same Greek phrase for what happens when the curtain is torn open, when Jesus is crucified on the cross. Heaven is torn open at Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. And listen, so he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then this voice comes from heaven, and it says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Let's just stop for a moment and reflect on this. Jesus receives the Spirit and he receives the Father's affirmation. His core identity is Son, beloved, more than enough. Just pause for a moment. Spirit comes. Before Jesus could cast out a demon, preach a sermon, heal the sick, the first thing that happens, he receives the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then he hears through revelation of the Spirit Father in heaven telling him, you're my girl. You're more than enough and I love you. You're my boy. You're more than enough and I love you. Just pause. This is the foundation of our identity. When you strip back the layers of of things you want to be known by. When you strip back the need to perform, the need to relate, the need to prove, the need to show, to make sense of the world, the way the world wants to identify you and you strip it all back and when you're before God and the presence of God comes before you, you are given a divine affirmation from the heavenly father that says, you're my boy, you're my girl, beloved, more than enough. This is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That if you want to step into your truest self, it begins with not discovering something inside of you. Not on a journey of self discovery with psychology and awareness. It's actually the acceptance of the divine words from heaven that is echoing from creation, from Genesis 1 to the baptism of Jesus to now in this room. God the Father is still calling out to his kids, That's my boy. That's my girl. You're more than enough. That's my beloved. You see, I think we're in this moment where we are facing as a culture an identity crisis. Amen. I love what Carl Truman says about this. And listen to this. I have it on the screen. He says, the collapse of traditional external anchors of identity, perhaps most obviously those of religion, nation, and family, explains the attraction to the, intru- uh, to the turn inward, The rise of technology feeds the notion that we can bend nature to our will, that the world is just, is just so much raw plastic material from which we can make whatever meaning or reality we choose. The loss of sacred order reinforces this subjectivism. And listen to this, he says, the modern self finds himself in the midst of what one sociologist has described as a culture of expressive individualism, where each of us seeks to give expression to our individual inner lives rather than seeing ourselves as embedded in communities and bound by natural and supernatural laws. Authenticity to inner feelings rather than adherence to transcendent truths become the norm. I know this is offensive. Good. Amen. This is what we have to hear. Because we live in a moment where we want our identity that we have found internally to be the loudest thing, the most important, the truest thing about us. When actually the truest thing about you doesn't come first from your personal discovery. It comes from the awareness of this sacred whisper from heaven and creation. That you are a child of God. You are loved and you are more than enough. How are we doing, church? Yes. The Holy Spirit comes to give us this revelation. We can read it in a book, but it's the Spirit who gives us this revelation according to Romans 8 and according to Mark chapter 1, Jesus' baptism. And I just want to say, I know it's hard to hear, but the Christian, biblical, Worldview places God's opinion and scripture's truth as the highest authority in our lives, including our own perspectives and opinions. You want me to say that again? For the back row. Christian biblical worldview places God's opinion and scripture's truth as the highest authority in our lives, Including our own perspectives and opinions. In other words, we have to take our thoughts and beliefs and ideas and emotions captive and submit them to the truth of Christ. And this is true for identity. In other words, identity comes from God as creator. You are made in his image. Identity is formed by the Spirit and it is shaped by the revelation of the Spirit and established by God's loving presence. Let's continue. It says in verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, if you were here in our Ephesians series, you know this adoption to sonship is one of the most powerful phrases in all of the scriptures because it is the gospel in a nutshell. That is a legal term for what would happen in Roman societies. But what Paul's saying, it's the Holy Spirit who enables, or let me rephrase it. It's the Holy Spirit who delivers us from slavery and empowers our freedom as sons and daughters. Paul's saying, this is what the Spirit comes to do in you. Remember when Jesus said in Acts 1 that you'll receive power to be my witnesses? Paul is systematically, like an engineer or a mechanic, breaking down the activity of the Holy Spirit in your personal life so you know the kingdom dynamics that are happening in your soul. That you, through the power of the presence of God, are being renovated, reformed as an entire person because of the presence of God. He takes away the fear that culture and sin and the devil places inside of you and replaces that not with a fearlessness, although that will come later. He replaces it with identity. You're now adopted. And in Roman context, it's referring to the legal transaction that took place when a wealthy couple or father wanted to pass off their inheritance to someone who was not their biological son. They would find a slave or a servant and they would go through this legal process, letting the community know that this person is being grafted in as a son of the house, all debts of the slave would be canceled. Anything they owed would be taken care of and paid. They would be given a new name. They would be given new responsibilities. They could never again be disowned because of this legal transaction. And Paul is saying the Holy Spirit comes Takes you who was once a slave in sin, deserving the wrath of God and the cross and death and separation. Now you are a son of the house, a daughter of the king, and with it comes rights, responsibilities, and all sorts of vocational explana- or expectations. And now you walk around and he will say, as an heir of God, a co heir with Christ. How's that doing? for identity, walking around insecure, walking around formed by the environment and cultural narratives that make you think you're less than, that God is someplace else uninterested, waiting to write a ticket and give you a, a disapproving experience, one who's not concerned waiting for you to make that mistake. No, 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 no. You are a, co. you share the reign with Christ, according to this text, and eventually in Revelation. How are we doing, church? I, I just want to say, you can't think yourself into this experience. You can't memorize this passage and think it's going to transform your life. I've done it. First time I met with Bill when I was 19 years old, he had me read Romans 8 for an entire year powerful, still didn't make a dent. (laughs) It didn't make a dent in the hole that was in my soul. Because of the next passage, let me just explain this. It says in the rest of part 15, it says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the presence of it comes. And remember, we are spiritual and physical beings, right? We talked about this. The, the, de- dement, the five dimensions of the soul for review is we are, God breathes his spirit into us into dust. That's, so we're spiritual and physical. And under physical, we're emotional, relational, and mental. We have intellectual capacities, relational capacities, and we have emotional capacities in a physical body. Everyone here has a body. Yes. But we also have a spirit. And God gives us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God by him we cry abba father this phrase is one of the most revolutionary ideas in all of Jesus's ministry probably one of the more scandalous concepts because when the disciples come to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 say hey Jesus will you teach us to pray he says one day Jesus it says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place they finished His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And like John taught his disciples, verse two, he says, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And he goes on to do the Lord's Prayer or the version of it in Luke chapter 11. Now, what most, actually a significant number of biblical scholars believe is that when Jesus spoke the word Father in the New Testament, the 148 times he uses that word, most likely he was using the informal word Abba which is daddy or dada. Instead of the, inf- instead of the formal Greek word um, uh, for, for father, he uses the Aramaic informal word for what a child looking up to his daddy says in Aramaic, Abba dada now what is so significant is that what scholars debate is how scandalous this was that the god who the ineffable name of god the god yahweh that you cannot misuse the name that god, that jesus would take this transcendent being and call him his dada was so scandalous that some scholars believe that he uh, the new testament writers thought it was too controversial to actually use that phrase in the New Testament. So they use the formal word for father in Greek rather than the informal daddy. But think about this. Jesus comes to reveal what the father is like, what the Abba is like. No one sees Abba except the son. Over and over again, Jesus will reveal what his Abba is like. And then he doesn't save his Abba experience for himself. He says, when you pray, pray to Abba. So he says that when we go and move forward in this relationship with God, we are to relate to God as daddy. And Paul will argue that the evidence of a spirit-filled life is the capacity to relate to God as Abba. How do you relate to God? Just wait right here. How do you relate to God? What is your prayer filled with. Is it God, distant being, oh Lord Jesus? And I get it, and I get We're just coming off of this moment where Francis is like, transcendence, silence, big, holy of holies. I totally think we need to recover reverence. We need to recover the the scandal of keeping everything awesome in our culture. But at the same time, when you look at what a spirit-filled life says, it's what my friend Remy said today, that you are now the holy of holies. You are the new temple. The controversy of the New Testament is the spirit actually doesn't dwell behind a curtain. We don't have to tiptoe with our shoes tied in a big chain with all these sacrifices. We come with boldness. Not just that, when the spirit comes, he wants to restore intimacy with the father so that you have nothing else but to say, Abba, Daddy. And this is why this passage is so hard for so many of us. Is it not? This is why even after reading this chapter for an entire year, it doesn't make a dent on the hole that was in my heart for that longing of the father's affirmation. Because what I've seen time and time again is that your earthly father's, your relationship to your earthly father distorts your relationship with the God in heaven. And your view of God shapes the way you live and interact in the world today. The Spirit wants to restore intimacy with Abba. So many of you, like me, run around not knowing what God thinks of you, or worse, carrying a distorted view of God in heaven, and your life is bearing fruit of exhaustion and burnout. I thought the father was disapproving, absent. I thought my task was to show him how good I was, that I was worth his sacrifice on the cross. And that hole, that unprocessed wound, created a church planner, a pastor who ran around doing ministry, thinking it's good for the sake of proving to some distant absentee father that I was worth his sacrifice. It led to burnout, it led to anger, it led to uh, ruining relationships, it led to all sorts of damage. It's, it's, and I speak as if it's healed all the way. And that's why I need you to know, like, I'm a wounded healer. I'm broken. And there's layers to the wound that have been healed. I remember when Brendan Manning came to Vanguard University, one of my favorite writers, who wrote a book I highly recommend called Abba's Child. And he preached a sermon. And I remember loads of students staying and weeping as they experienced the love of the Father for the first time. I experienced that in a profound way. I remember sitting in Northern Ireland to the pastor that my brother was interning at and and experiencing a word of knowledge that broke to the deepest part of my soul and I unlocked something that I wept for 40 minutes next to my wife as I cried, receiving what I can only say was a revelation of my belovedness. But the wounds continue. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've had the encounter You know the truth. You've done the work for the false self, and yet you still have work to do. And that's why I believe the Holy Spirit um, wants to give you an encounter, but also wants to be in the process of transformation. Some of you have the wrong ideas about God, and it's shaping the way you live and interact in the world. Brennan Manning said, the love of God embraces all without exception, for his love is never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of joy or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration. It is always tender. Jesus reveals what the Father is like. And the Spirit of God gives us a fresh revelation of His love as He pours out His love in our hearts. And Jesus invites us to be restored. His Spirit comes to reveal, restore, and secure our relationship with the loving Father as Abba. I, uh... Can I talk to the guys for a second? Man, can we do that? Ladies, you can take a nap. Um, I just want to do a quick thing. I'm just going to do it. Uh, Some of you, let me just say this. God is a good father. Great. This, This world, our cultural moment, needs good fathers in the world men who are living as good fathers. Not to be celebrated as awesome dads, but see fathering as a privilege and a a vocation and a mission in this world. That men have an important task to father the next generation. And we need fathers to father not just their biological or adopted children and families, but we need men to father spiritual sons and daughters in this current moment. There's some stats, I'm just gonna read it. Um, The effects of the fatherless society we live in. 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homelessness and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% 85% of all children that exhibit behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, fatherless homes. 79% of juveniles in state operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. I look at the mass shootings that we've had. 18 year olds. Can I go here for a second? Sensitive. Where were the 18-year-olds two years ago when COVID started? 16, isolated, alone. One of them for sure we know comes from a fatherless home. And I just have to say, I'm not trying to name all the things we're facing as a society, but I do see a clear pattern that men, we need to become fathers. And I know you weren't initiated as a son. And what I wanna say is we gotta end the cycle. We need men who will stop looking to be validated by everything else in the world, their career, their spouses, their jobs, their dreams, some adventure you can create to go off and become masculine. No, you need to recognize that masculinity at its best is covering families, covering people because that's what we're called into. It reflects the father's nature in heaven. Again, controversy, our culture doesn't want to talk about this. Men, we have work to do. And I just believe that so many of us are letting passivity and anger get in the way of what God wants to do in our culture at this moment. So don't wait until you have kids to become a father. Be a father now. A father protects. A father encourages. A father instructs. A father loves. A father sacrifices. A father goes out of their way not to have things and have the title, but because this reflects the father in heaven. So many of you are in this room and you've never been fathered. And I get it. I'll, like, I, I get it. I'm 37. I'm a pastor. I have two kids of my own, two, two boys. And this year, I was reminded, no, I was brought into a long narrative of longing for my dad's affirmation. We are on a family trip. When I was seven years old, my dad gave us an initiation. The only real initiation he gave us as kids was to buy us pocket knives. How many of you got guys in the room pocket knives? Come on, let's, let me see those hands. I'm just gonna, oh, this is a really, pocket knives are important, okay? Promise. They're, they're good tools to have. You can cut apples and packages from Amazon. So at seven, he initiated us with a, 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 a knife is such a big deal. Responsibility, authority. Obviously, I got stitches when I was seven. But anyways, <laughs> um, I, I did this with my boy, Ezra. Ezra. Ezra has a fascination with knives now, and he collects them, and we've taught him all the stuff. And, um, so we went on a family trip. My dad, he, right when I got to the house, he's like, hey, Darren, there's a, there's a bench-made store in Big Bear. We should go check out the knives. And I'm like, a seven-year-old boy. I want to share this story and I'm not. I just want to share it from a raw perspective. Okay, seven-year-old boy comes out. Yeah, I'm gonna go with my dad to get a knife. <laughs> awesome. This is so cool. I got my kids right. And so one day we we took all the guys and we all went down. I brought Ezra along. And, Alex is like, okay, you can buy a knife. And there's one I've been looking at. It's a bench made, bug out, pocket knife, very expensive, 190 bucks. It doesn't matter. I've been saving. She's like, hey, you, if they have it, you can get it permission granted because I'm a real uh, masculine man who empowers finances to run smoothly in our home. So Alex handles finances. That's leadership. <laughs> Delegation is leadership. Amen. They, yeah, she covers me where I'm weak. And I don't say I do that back for it. No, I do. Um, so they have it. They have one left. I'm looking at it. Ezra comes up, wants to buy an airsoft gun. This is the amount we have. Airsoft gun. Ah, uh, airsoft guns for my two boys. Put the knife back. My dad picks it up. I think he's buying it for me. Now, what you need to know is this. My dad... His dad died when he was six. His stepdad died when he was 17. His grandpa who raised him died when he was 17. My dad comes from a life of poverty and trauma. So much so that he became a behavioral therapist who's healing the world through EMDR, okay? But there are things that he lacks that I now see not as something that is broken. I see it and I, I have grace for it now. But this was a, a moment I'm just bringing you into. Not for my sake, but I wanna share this, the power of healing. So um, fast forward the story. Uh he buys the knife, and I'm like, oh my gosh. He's buying it for me. It's the last one. I couldn't believe it. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, this is it. So I get in the car. He bought it for himself. <laughs> <laughs> it hurt a lot. A week later, on a Sunday morning, I was on a walk. My, my spiritual father, Bob Hassen, calls me. Hey, what's going on? What are you feeling? I tell him the story, and he says, Ouch, that hurts. That's not what a father should have done in that moment. You're, you did what a father should have done. You bought it for your boys. A week later, I go to Bob's house. He has a bench made bug out knife, and engraved it says, Be a father. I wept like a seven year old boy receiving the most important gift. I think God wants to give that Abba experience we're longing for so that we don't need to seek the validation and affirmation from everyone else in our life. I share that story not to make my dad look bad, not to point to my life, but to say that there are moments in our lives where we get stuck in those patterns where there's still this thing blocking us, and the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to restore your identity. Does this speak to anyone? We need fathers. I want to read this quote. I thought this was so fascinating from Richard Rohr. He says, dads don't have to love us as moms do. Moms, listen to this. Mom's love is body-based from the womb and the breast. Mom's love is taken for granted, relied upon instinctively, which is why foundational mother wound can be even more devastating. But my experience is that father wounds are much more common. His love is not inherently and instinctively felt and drawn upon like mother's love. He must choose to love. He must notice you among the many. Father love redeems, liberates, and delights in totally different ways than mom's love. I believe the Spirit comes to restore intimacy with the Father and that the evidence of a Spirit-filled life will be your prayer life becoming like Jesus's. Abba, Abba. Look, I have so much else in here, but I'm just going to stop. It's not a clear path, but you know what? Francis preached like four sermons last Sunday, so you can take one of his. <laughs> I'll leave it for one of it Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.